Hey friends, what's up? It's Tommy. Just wanted to say a few words before we started um, our episode with Maisha from uh, Maisha Hill from Check Your Privilege. It is going to be a magical, just magical episode. Like the words escape me. Um, I hope you guys enjoy it. Well, you all. I'm really working on this gendered language, everybody. <laughs> um, so happy Black History Month. Um, it is the middle of February here, and we are releasing this the day after Valentine's Day. And so I hope that you are in your uh, Black History Month journey, learning and experiencing um, a more complete version of um, our collective history through the eyes of black history and so just wanted to remind you that you can follow some amazing people a uh, friend of the pod lady shoemate and sincerely letty amazing amazing content um, uh, that gives historical insight and perspective from one of our friends also jermaine fowler's the humanities um, archive um, is another one you can follow for historical perspectives but I also want to highlight that Black History Month is also a time for um, black people to also root into joy. And so I love what Tina Strong is doing over on her pages and speaking of racism, highlighting black joy, because this is also black history as well. And so as we share this conversation with you, I just want you to know that that's how I'm celebrating. I am rooting into learning more about my history, but also the celebration of joy. And um, this conversation that you're about to hear with Maisha Hill is just that. And so um, within that, there's a whole lot of historical references that you can look up. And so we hope that you just find this beneficial. And I'll see you on the other side. Before this, you guys, I was going up and down my stairs and I was having a lot of pain in my whole body. And once I made the switch last week, and I'm noticing it in like over the weekend, going up and down the stairs, I'm like going faster, like my body joints aren't hurting as much. So there's something about the nutrients and the juicing and the way that I've been eating that's really good for my body. So Probably the main way we're meant to eat. I think so. Like get rid of the red meat, get rid of the chicken. Yes. Yeah. I got some thoughts on that. Becca, do an intro for us, please. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll save my butthole too. You guys that come on my podcast and then I'll save well, we it. We talking about the butthole. We're just going to pause and say okay, hello fine. and welcome to Permission to Be. We're excited to have with us tonight Maisha T. Hill. Thank you, Maisha, for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. What does Maisha do? Yeah. What does she do, Becca? <laughs> what is my Tell well, Tell Maisha is a anti-racism educator. Mm-hmm. She is an author. Mm-hmm. She is a facilitator. Mm-hmm. A, oh, I want to say, what did you say this morning in your life? This is what uh, you said something. She is a guide. I am a guide. A guide. That is that is the word I was looking for. Mm. Y'all, Maisha brings presence 
in a spirit of leadership, but does so with so much grace. I have had the honor of being a part of the community that she founded, Check Your Privilege, and that is something that you could benefit from. So I'm going to plug it right here at the beginning. Y'all, go to Check Your Privilege. I feel like tonight's conversation is going to be a beautiful conversation of observations and some Mm -hmm. lamentation and some, you know, We've, we've, yeah. and, and just general goofiness, but um, we're, we're going to get back to your butthole. <laughs> yes, we will. Hello, and welcome to Permission to Be. Let's hit him with the remix. Oh, well, y'all got to change yes. that. Yes. What are we doing? Uh, we, we leave our F bombs in and. Let's tell some stories. As long as white people are bound, the people in power are bound, they're going to keep us bound to the same thing that they're bound to. Out of the the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and I think out of the overflow of the spirit, the body does. Why, Why is that the best that God could offer you? Mike made it very clear that he did not want to get any of these questions beforehand. So he is getting this question live, raw, for the very first time. This is um yeah. and i feel like art is the expression of the heart where uh words fail wow. oh my goodness i have tears oh y'all are killing it unfiltered i feel like that's gotta sound strange permission to be uh actually my 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 literary agent when we were talking about what book might i write he was like i mean a black man with hope is an interesting book (laughs) (laughs) oh shit (laughs) we have so much to talk about but yes we do it's just so nice to meet you and like it's nice to see you guys i can't wait till we can see everybody see you guys in person like right? I ever, I'm getting to the point now where I'm thinking about it and it's like bringing tears to my eyes because I'm just like, not that I want things to go back to normal. I just miss people. I miss traveling. I miss not having to think about it and to be like, you know what? I'm not going to pay this bill because I'm going on this vacation. So Exactly. <laughs> she like, all. It's ridiculous. I, like we're trying to figure out how do we travel during a pandemic oh road trips okay yay who wants to do that <laughs> it's like i need to i need to like fly through the air land somewhere and be like oh it's a whole new world <laughs> right 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 <laughs> what'd you what'd you do for your uh for your time off um a bunch of nothing sat up watched a bunch of just korean um of course korean dramas and Ooh. Hung out with my man and my kids. Ate a lot of food, a lot of seafood. I love seafood. Oh, me too. Yes. I'm just Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what we're trying. I'm trying to stay pescatarian. I accidentally had sausage today. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but there's always tomorrow. That's, that's right. That's right. It's a new day. There's so you know us black folk like to cook pork into stuff like collard greens and whatnot so mm-hmm. whenever i order collard greens it's usually i'm having to fish around the meat in there and i'm still getting yeah. the flavor and i'm like oh, oh well I'm, I'm gonna still eat it because it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, <in> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely been a journey i started juicing last week and then 
I started adding like seafood once a day and like intermittent fasting. Um, it's been interesting. Do you think that's, I know when I change what I'm putting in my body, like my body goes through a period of just like readjusting and I get tired in that switch. I could sometimes. still be tired from that because it's only literally, literally been a week. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you're I, also doing a hell of a lot. But I do, <laughs> feel the, I do feel the emotional pull of the new wave, so... I want to talk more about that new wave. Let's do mm-hmm. it. Let's talk about All it. All right. What makes you feel at home and at ease and seen? Like, I, I guess, how's your heart? I would ask, how's your heart? How's your mind? How's your body? Oh, these are good. Um, well, my heart is, my heart is well. I was having like these, I'm calling them COVID-19 attacks. I'm not sure if you guys had them, but basically I would... I think I had COVID-19, but I was having their anxiety attacks, really mm-hmm. bad anxiety mm-hmm. attacks mm-hmm. <laughs> under high periods of stress. Like six times last year, I would just end up at the emergency room. Um, yeah. Cause I was like, I'm not breathing. And they were like, you know, my EKGs are like, you're fine. Um, they ended up giving me anxiety medication. Um, so to come into this year and just kind of feel some ease with that, no heavy anxiety. Mm-hmm. It's really good. So my heart's mm-hmm. good. Um, yeah, my heart's good. Mm. Yeah, thanks for asking. My mind is, you know, it depends on the time of the day. <laughs> okay. Um, when I can stay off my phone, I'm like so mellow. Like I'm chill reading a book. I'm playing with my kids, building Lego um, adventures. Right now, my son and my partner, they're building this Lego escape land. It's really cool. And my daughter um, is into thrifting now. She's eight. So we go to Savers on Monday. (laughs) We get the 50% off clothes. We wash them. And then we figure out like what she wants and what she doesn't. And so she's going to start selling clothes (laughs) on Instagram. Good for her. I'm going to help her. Good for her. She's like, she's really good at picking out and styling at eight. So she has that eye. She does. She like pieced together this little sequins tutu with like a, she found a white sweater with sequins to match. I'm like, yes. <laughs> she just skipped it. Oh, mm-hmm. Love it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, she's on the autism spectrum. So she uh, has really bad social anxiety. But to see her, like, just go to the section and she's like, okay, mom, no rips, no stains. <laughs> no, there's something else. I forgot. There's three things that she knows her aunt taught her. She says the same thing every time. No rips, no stains, no this. So she spent, oh, it was like $130, but it was 50% off day. So, um, yeah, we're still talking about my mind, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, and she's thriving. Oh, yeah, she's thriving. So with, with her, it's more in public, which is why I, one of the reasons I try, chose to homeschool my kids now, too. Um, I can do it my way. Um, but she would literally, um, the last full year they were in school before the pandemic, she'd be like, my stomach hurts. I want to go home. It's her anxiety. Uh, yeah. I want mommy. And she just start crying. Um, and then coming to find out now that she wasn't really learning. Mm. Um, so she's a lot, she's behind a lot in math. So we're working on that, but. What does behind mean like in this behind. system of education that we have? Like you can't really be behind right now because we're in a pandemic. So I'm glad you asked me that question. <sighs> Tell me about it. Um, yeah. yeah, I think 
So my mind's really, it's, it's kind of busy, you know, as long as I stay off my phone and just flow with the schedule with my kids and my partner, I'm okay. Um, I, I do think a lot about, you know, one thing that did consume my mind today was how folks just show up and can be so performative. Like it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And like you get tagged in all the things and you're like, but why can't you guys do this every day? Why do we wait for like an atrocity or wait for a black leader's birthday to celebrate black and brown voices? That's actually been on my mind in the last couple hours. Mm. That's so interesting. I want to come back to that because I want to talk about that. And then the last one was your body. How's your body? Yeah, my body's good. You guys, I'm telling you, making that change, like the first four days of juicing, you're like, what the, this is nasty. (laughs) You can say that word here. (laughs) Okay, great. What the fuck? Oh my God. And then like you're in the bathroom all the time. And like, I'm on the phone with my mom. Like, am I supposed to be constipated? She's like, you drink water today? I was like, no. She's like, go drink water. And then it just comes out. <laughs> and it's like, a miracle. Right, you might need to go get a salt water flush. Or you might, and I'm like, go what? Go get a colon cleanse. You know when they stick the tube in your butt? Well, you know, I, <laughs> I mean, I'm a gay man. I know all about that. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Tommy? I wasn't ready for that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, my God. That's why we're best friends, guys. <laughs> oh my god. We should do an intro real quick. My God. But I do want to say, like though. So <laughs> Jesus Christ. God. <laughs> it, like I'm like thinking about my book butthole like oh <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry no, no, we should, I shouldn't like, say sorry just laugh don't say sorry just laugh it's just us <laughs> this is a great this is a great take yeah. I uh what was I gonna say oh but I will say about my body <laughs> and then I'll come back to my butthole but <laughs> <laughs> ever, ever since I changed my lifestyle before this, you guys, I was going up and down my stairs and I was having a lot of pain in my whole body. Mm-hmm. And once I made the switch last week and mm-hmm. I'm noticing it in like over the weekend, going up and down the stairs, I'm like going faster. Like my body joints aren't hurting as much. Awesome. So there's something about the nutrients and the juicing and the way that I've been eating that's really good for my body. Mm-hmm. So Probably the main way we're meant to eat. I think so. Like get rid of the red meat, get rid of the chicken. Yes. Yeah. Um, we're we're gonna get back to your butthole. <laughs> yes, we will. Yes. Tell, tell, tell the audience, tell our listeners about check your privilege. Uh, what is check your privilege? How did it get started? Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> um, this is great. I need this joy, you guys. But uh, check your privilege. Um, is a global movement that seeks to help white folks on their journey of becoming actively anti-racist. Um, what started from pain has now led to a movement, a global movement of, I don't even count the numbers, we try not to, 
of individuals who really want to be more active on their anti-racism journey by niching down, having a community of support, um, and just really feeling nourished as much as possible and joyful and, and rested on their anti-racism journey. I said it started from pain, so it started, basically I had a disagreement with a friend that really harmed my mental health, and I started reading more Black scholars, um, which is interesting because this friend got me a couple of these books from Bell mm. Hooks and Audre Lorde. Oh, yes. Um, I started reading other books, and I recognized my relationship to white women and how it was rooted in colorblind rhetoric and racism, um, mm. and how I found myself in caretaking relationships with white women. And so the notion was from my, you know, my girlfriends, my black and brown sisters, you better stop messing with them white women, girl. We tried to tell you, throw them all away. And I was like, no, I don't think I should do that. Cause you know, the old school Christianity teaches you, you don't throw people away, you forgive them. Everybody's a sinner, keep trying. 77 times, you know, all of them. Right, seven times, oh. 77 times. <laughs> you forgive seven times, 77. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but um, you know, <laughs> it's it, it led to me like doing these video series on Facebook Live um, with white women who I knew about their relationship with privilege. And I told the women, I'm like, we had a workshop, and then I was like, we could do a lot with this. And then I was like, I'm gonna create a co-conspirators lounge. This was like three years ago, and they're like, what's that? And I'm like, we're gonna figure it out. Um, I think I got to a year later and I was like, oh, no one's coming to my to the workshops. No one's coming to the lounge. I'm just not going to do this anymore. But there was a fire inside of me because it was really about how do I teach white folks to do anti-racism work with black folks with a, mar with a marginalized identity who might not have a college degree but have the lived experience, who want to walk with them on their journey, right? Not look like this overly intellectualized expert but a human helping another human um, without throwing them away, without shaming them, but like guiding. And I think that's where the word, I would know that's where the word guide came from because uh, me and expert culture don't get along. Oh, me and expert culture don't get along. Like when a lot of times people would say, what do you want me to introduce you as? I'm a guide. Everyone's the expert of their own life. So the experience that you have with someone mm -hmm. else is really to walk you into, as Dr. Tila yeah. says, right? Coming home to yourself. You meet people on your journey to help you come home to yourself. And mm -hmm. I believe that part of my life's work is to help guide folks mm -hmm. to come home to their self <sighs> and dismantle their relationships with the interlocking system yeah. denomination. So here we are. Yes. Mm. <laughs> and we, we're, we, we're Can I like, get an amen? Let, let the church say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in a former life, I was under care to become a minister. But oh, um, I feel so. Yeah. What, what we do here is we challenge dominant narratives and what. I, I would, maybe you're not a minister in the sense of in the church pew, but maybe the church pew is moving outside the four walls of the church. Okay, ministers ancestors, are amen. <laughs> they are. Mm -hmm. they, uh, I'm serious. Yeah. My uh, coach just told me this two weeks ago, and now you're saying mm -hmm. it. So, so 
the spirit is speaking through people for me. So thank you. Yeah. So one of the first observations that I want to sort of been sitting with, and I was just thinking about, we, I, me and Becca earlier were having a conversation and we were reflecting sort of on the trajectory of the podcast and permission to be in last year, really focusing on centering Black voices and, and anti-racism content. And and really so much about, when, when I think about this term co-creation, and I think about the the leaders of this movement and what we've been able to accomplish in some of the most traumatic years for black and brown people the last four years. Um, I really think we're moving to sort of this second wave of civil rights movement that is led by women. So uh, what people I'm reading James Cone's The Cross and the Lynching Tree right now. And from his perspective, um, the first, the civil rights movement that sort of Martin Luther King Jr. headed up started the linchpin for that was Emmett Till. But what we don't really often talk about is the activist that Emmett Till's mother was. And so often there was always a woman underneath, you know, that was propping up um, or or supporting the voice who, who was a man in these times. And now it, it what it feels like to me is that we're in a period where we're looking at the women of the community, the mothers and saying, no, okay, you've been relegated to the shadows for so long. It's time to rise. It's time to step into your power is, you know, like in, and that's what I really see. I, and when I look at Kamala Harris, when I look at the anti-racism voices and I look at the activists in the community, uh, Alicia Garza, the founders of Black Lives Matter, the check your privilege, speaking of racism, all these uh, things and so I'm I'm really I'd be interested to get your thoughts about where you see you you were talking about mm-hmm. waves earlier yeah. and I'd love you to explain that too and where you see yourself ourselves in this particular moment that we find ourselves in. Yeah. Um. Well, that. Well. Uh. Let me pause for a second. There's been two waves, like in the last six months, right? The first one is what I call mm-hmm. the Great White Awakening, and that happened when George Floyd was murdered. Um, yeah. Yeah. I still want to pause. I want to say the awakening started when COVID-19 happened because we were all on our phones. And the first, one of the first deaths that we all saw that's coming up actually in a few weeks was Ahmaud Arbery. That was the birth, right? That was the veil slowly being lifted from all of our eyes. Um, and then there was Breonna Taylor. And remember, we're in this pandemic and we're just like, are you serious? And then there was a debauchery that myself, Letty, and Weez had with Rachel Hollis. And more white folks, it just seemed like we're just, the scales were coming off. They were just like, okay, this isn't right. But when George Floyd was murdered, that was the great white awakening of, <laughs> I feel like since the start of the civil rights movement, for some reason, white folks were finally like, oh, this is it. Okay. Wow. Let's get on the computer, it, y'all. Let's get on the computer. Let's put up <laughs> black squares on social media to show our solidarity. Let's sign up let's for forget. all the workshops and courses and and let's do all the things. Because you know, whiteness has reinforced yep. in all of us, but specifically white person, this idea yep. of yep. rugged individualism, being the expert, show and prove, over productivity, etc. Um, 
And then, you know, we go through these months of these, everyone's excited, the black squares go away. Folks start leaving your coaching programs, your community spaces, and go easing back into whiteness because it seems like COVID-19 was almost over. Um, but COVID-19 was not. And fast forward to a couple of weeks ago, we had the great white shock and awe. That's the second iteration of the wave. The great white awakening. I called it the great white shock and awe. The, oh my God, those white people. So then that came, that, that came with othering and the idea of the exceptional. I, I, I'm not like those white people, right? Those are the two waves that I've noticed since the start of COVID-19. Can you talk more about the wave of shock and awe and this rise of what you see as the I'm not like those people? Because it's one of the things that I find really interesting as I watches the way that cycles repeat themselves and so mm-hmm. when I think about the cycle of whiteness repeating itself and how it mm-hmm. reincarnates itself in different uh, times and iterations like we knew after the election we was going to see a white lash like we knew that <laughs> we were prepared for that oh yeah we knew right and, and so talk more about that white wave of shock and awe yeah that shock and awe I, I couldn't understand it because a lot of the individuals who were shocked have been on this journey, some of the ones that I know, at least since George Floyd was murdered. And I think what shocked them is they finally could visually see what black and brown people have been explaining to, has been happening to, to them for years. And for some of them, because it's America is great and there's this idea of this beautiful democracy and our capital upholds all these values it took folks to see people destroying, destroying a building that was built by my ancestors. Come on to now. To actually see how whiteness works. How whiteness is you they basically to say you're storming a mm-hmm. a federal building, it's just like colonization, but in real time. Mm-hmm. And so I think of what happened Ooh. a couple of weeks ago with this shock and awe is that you got to see colonization but on your own country by folks who look like you and so it's better to other yourself from people who look like you because you want to prove well I'm a good white person I would never do anything like that and why would they those people do that no one wants to have a mirror reflected on them and so what all white folks saw was a mirror of reflection and they saw what people of color have been telling them about whiteness mm-hmm. and white men in yeah. particularly for years. And, and they have to face it. And facing it brought this idea of <gasps> shock and awe. How do I face this? Shock and awe. Oh my God, H- how can they do that? And one thing I've said recently, um, Tommy, is that mm. we don't get to <laughs> we don't get to say we're not like those other black people. I can't say that if a black man goes and is a drug dealer on a corner because that's the only way he knows to make money for his family. I can't say, oh, well, that's that black man. My black man's not like that. Because we are, from the beginning, put in a pool of, I can't even, I don't have the words to describe it. But from the beginning, we were set up to be the predator. Mm -hmm. 
And so for me to try to say, oh, I'm not like that black person. I can't do that in this country. Yes. 100%. But privilege allows white people to disconnect themselves from a full white experience. Mm. It's, it's so interesting, right? Because, and I think that this is why the healing work of anti-racism is so important mm-hmm. because we're overturning entrenched generational wounds. Exactly. And so generation after generation, white people are taught to suppress, to ignore, to not acknowledge, to avoid. Um, yes. And, and then looking at what black people are taught in our bodies, we're taught to push through. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we're taught to suppress for different reasons. And so mm-hmm. it, what I find fascinating and when I think about reflect, you know, today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I, that quote about us being inextricably bound together. Right. Our our humanity is still intact. The thing the same things that cause each of us to function and, and that drive for survival is still mm-hmm. there. But how we then utilize power <laughs> To navigate that and create society and its structures gets embedded into our DNA, how we function and how we think, and then the structures that we continue to create and perpetuate. And so that's why I, I just think your work that you're doing in this this concept of you being a guide is so beautiful and important mm-hmm. for the moment that we find ourselves in right now. Thank you. It, yeah. yeah, it's I think we forget. And I think thank you for making those points, Tommy, around how white white people are taught to suppress that they can't feel because it reminds me of the workplace, why I never fit into a corporate environment because I was a disruptor and I was a feeler. And it's not normal to have someone who feels speak on speak on, hey, you made this decision in your organization, and I feel <laughs> a loss of agency in my role, in my position at this job. And, and in corporate America, feelings don't work. But then I think yeah. about what you just said in terms of whiteness and white people, feelings don't work. Yeah. Well, and huh. you think about it, if I had to have feelings, you know, again, these things are deeply, deeply entrenched, but to, to have to subject a person's body, another human you know, divine ordained body <laughs> to the mm-hmm. conditions that existed um, in enslavement, right? The, the, to subjugate bodies to rape, to subject to the separation of families, the, the listening to the scream and cries and the pleads, the, the whipping in, in the fields, beating people to within an inch of their life. You have to turn off a switch of humanity to be able to do those things. And Mm -hmm. most often than not, you're turning those things off because also you as the oppressor are suffering in some way, shape or form too, that you don't want to deal with. Absolutely. I think we don't think about the trauma, the, the epigenetics, the generational trauma that's passed down. It's, it's interesting. I was watching a, a YouTube video with, um, Dr. Huey P. Newton, and um, he was talking about the genes of Black folks, right? How our genes, to be a people that have been enslaved, but to be resilient and to to be able to still thrive after years of oppression and domination and enslavement, Mm -hmm. we are a powerful people. 
and anyway. not because of, in spite of. <laughs> right? In spite of, in spite yes. of. It, it's not because we're more powerful or we're more magical. We're human just like everybody else. And like, mm-hmm. and I know we tell us ourselves these things as a way to like prop us up and to create that that those moments of joy that we are experiencing but at the end of the day we are just like everyone else we are searching for being and belonging in this world too that's all people want all of us everybody wants to feel like they're they belong and COVID-19 right now is not helping the feelings of wanting to be belong wanting to belong a sense of family community I'm just thinking on the ancestral and please come back at me if this is out of step but I feel like the black community has the highest connection to ancestral roots and that is that connection creates a, a in some ways creates a deeper sense of understanding amongst the community and where white people there's not that value in that ancestry and we don't we don't even seek it out And if we sought it out, then we could learn and heal from it, but we don't even seek that ancestral history out. And going back to what you were saying, Tommy, that cutting off of emotion and feeling, that's another way we do that, is we did the disconnection mentally, physically, emotionally. We say we other that because of fear and shame, but what a great energy I think that would bring to humanity if we could connect and learn and observe and I think that's it's not there and I think that's an amazing gift and something I've been able to see through you Tommy like this desire to connect ancestors that was never taught to me and to be proud of your ancestors no matter where they came from no matter what they did like to be proud because you can learn from their Mm -hmm. space yeah and you and that's yeah I, think, I was going to say, within that, I feel like some people think that, like, here's the thing, though. I, I feel like people some, can sometimes use that, and I do appreciate what you just said, Becca. But I feel like sometimes people can use that as, you know, we had shitty ancestors, right. too. <laughs> we, had, we, we had ancestors that, that, right? And so it's, I I think the, I think what it boils down to is, is the suffering that gets imposed upon a people and what that suffering leads them to root into for survival. And so when we, you know, suffering is like the great revealer, Mm. right? Um, And and so white people would have to open up this space of lament and suffering that is held within Mm. them. And to feel that means what are the things that you have to do to feel those things? What when we're, when we're learning about being embodied yeah. and feel, it takes time to feel. Yeah. And what do we know about time? Well, we want to be efficient and we want to be productive because we have to produce, right? Right. right. So we put ourselves in a society that doesn't even set up the conditions mm-hmm. in which to do the mental work to be able to begin to heal ourselves mm-hmm. from this. Exactly. Yeah. And, and some of the mental work too for white people it isn't just looking at your ancestors and celebrating them, but you have to address if you're a white woman, did you have a woman that was burned at the stake? Mm. Because if so, you are carrying an energy of anger towards 
maybe a religion towards a white male. You don't know because it's in your subconscious, it's in your genetics. But you have to start unpacking who your ancestors were so that you can break free from the generational curse of being dominant, from 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 the pain of being burned at the stake if they were witches. Well, if they said they were quote unquote witches. They defined as witches. Um, yeah. Right. Or if you're like my great, 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 great grandfather was a slave, was a slave owner. And so I had to, a white man, I had mm. to do work around anger and power and domination because that came from my white male slave owner who trigger warning, sexual violence, who sexually violated my then 14 year old, great, 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 great grandmother, Rachel, who was a slave. So then that's more trauma work for me to do because then I have to look at my relationship to sexual violence. So it, it's it's a real deep, you guys, healing work that has to be done. And it's not productive and it's not pretty. And yet we're in a society that if it's not can't be done fast, efficient or productive enough, it's not worth doing. But you can't really heal that way. And I would push back. It, it is productive. It's not productive in the sense of profit or right. income or right. benefit, right? It's productive at a personal level, at a healing level. Um, and really that's where it counts because until we're healing ourselves, mm-hmm. how can we heal the community around us? Exactly. You know, we it's this trauma bond mm-hmm. that we have to one another. And so, hurt, you know, we said all the time, hurt people, hurt people, suffering people, the, you know, are, are competing for resources. We see it reflected in neighborhoods with high crime rates. I put crime in quotes, right? Because crime is subjective. What is what we define it right, as. Right. <laughs> yep. So that sounds like a lot of heavy work, Maisha. So how do you take care of yourself mm-hmm. and be engaged in this work? I'm glad you asked. Um <laughs> I'm definitely finding joy in bath bathing, spiritual baths. Um, I take a warm bath and I put we put dried rose petals in it. We put all of the aromatherapy we can in my daily baths that I take. I also find joy by just playing with my kids. Like it's really joyful to like play with kids who are still kids who are not who don't feel like they have to grow up too fast or be an adult. So I find joy playing Barbies with my daughter, playing Roblox. <laughs> Um, I find joy with my partner having date night, um, watching Korean again, Korean dramas. That that's very joyful for me. I, I love them. Thank you. BTS. They're so good. BTS and dancing, and my mom and dancing with BTS is a lot of fun. Have you seen Kim's Convenience on Netflix? Yes. <laughs> of course I have. Yes, so good. It's so, so good. good. So so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just really try to find joy in the simple things that are fun, free, and cheap. Going for a walk. I, I'm in Nevada now and I'm by the Red Rocks. So when we drive up there, it's always great to just feel free and connected to nature. So yeah, those are the different ways I find joy. Mm-hmm. So, and you have a really productive, like check your privilege has a lot of followers is really productive. And from my perspective, it seems like impossible to keep up with all that. And how do, how are you balancing your family life, and you were saying you were telling us a little bit about the specifics of how your family is comprised and some of the obstacles and struggles that they face. Like, how, what is that 
like from your perspective living and embodying mm-hmm. um uh being adjacent to disability and uh neurodiversity and and things like this yeah um so I would say we have a schedule, but I'd be lying because it's COVID-19. Who really has one? No one. Um, but we do our best to stay on schedule. Um, we literally plan a school day around my schedule. Um, I tr- also try to not be on the internet after five o'clock so I can have intentional time with my family. Um, but also with Check Your Privilege, there's a team. That's not just me. So like I had to get a team of folks together to help run that that business because it is a business. Mm. <laughs> um, and I couldn't do it by myself. I think it's like 600 and some odd thousand people on that, just on Instagram. Um, and yeah, you, I had to have a team and the team also gives me the flexibility and the freedom to be with my family. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, having a administrative assistant, having an operations manager, social media and content manager, having my brother help make the merchandise. So he takes care of the merchandise and my sister-in-law helps with like content ideas and content creation. And my partner, he like, it's like a whole team behind what you see me do every day on social media. So if you see me up, like you said, back, I was on one live and then I was on another live. That means this morning, my partner, he got up and he got the kids started on their day. And that's, that's how I'm able to do all this. I have, I have the support. Mm. I, I didn't for a long time. So before that, it was literally me and maybe one, one team member, mm. me and one team member just doing it all. But now I've been blessed to be able to have more team members, a loving partner, and um, just really trying to do the best I can, right, with COVID and trying to make sure they have therapy and extracurricular activities and just try to be in in tune as much as possible and you're going to school Mm. yes and I go to school once a weekend out the month I do a lot of things I've always been this way my mom says she doesn't know if it's autism or ADHD it's more autism because my brain picks up and absorbs information really fast Mm -hmm. um but she's like you always done this you're weird Mm. I love it or a gift I was like that's I don't know. Your soul, your being is put here, put right where you are for such a reason. Yeah. I remember even being in like elementary school and even high school, I had a love for the youth that were in the disability classrooms. Like I would go volunteer and push them around and talk to them. I'll never forget Juan. Um, he was blind and in a wheelchair and we were friends from sixth grade till we graduated high school. And Juan would always say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'd be like, you know, Juan, I think I'm going to be like the next Oprah, of course. And I'm going to be able to give jobs to everyone, including people who have disabilities. And we would laugh and I'd say, well, what do you want to do? And he'd be like, I want to be a radio show host. Like he had such a charismatic personality. Um, so I've always been proximate to disability and then learning about my own how, mental... How old were you when you said... Uh, 17. To know that? Like that? Mm, there's... I would, I would say a lot of things when I was younger. And I look at myself now like, oh. Yeah. That's why you have to be careful what you speak in, <laughs> out of your mouth. Especially me. Mm. So, and you were saying that, that you're 
you have autism as well? Well, my mom thinks I do because the way my daughter is, I was the, ex- and my oldest son also has high functioning autism because they don't have Asperger's. Anymore. My mom says I was just like both of them. She said when I was younger, mm-hmm. I wouldn't talk. I would grunt. Mm-hmm. Um, I would sound like a, like a dog that was whining and I would point. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Around my family, I was really like nonverbal. So they all that I was shy. And when I turned 12, they started to hear me talk. So my mom was like, oh, she's fine. She's just shy. Um, I do need to go get tested, though. I do have a lot of spectrum traits. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And if for my mom to say she sees in my daughter what she saw in me, I wouldn't be surprised if I was never diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder. How are you experiencing the intersections of blackness, your your lived experience as a woman in navigating an ableist society mm-hmm. as well. Oh, it's just a shit show. I get like it, it, it's, I don't know. How do you navigate? No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> it is, I mean it, it is, I can talk about from my queer and black right. perspective. But. You know what? <laughs> I navigated thinking like old spiritual Negro hymns that my grandmother would sing. And I now I know why she would sing them. Right? So she would sing like, she would be say, one glad morning, when this life is over, I'll fly away. And it was in a moment of distress. What guides me are recalling songs and, and the way in which I was taught to navigate the world as a black woman. Right? Um... It's not easy, but there is a like there is a higher there is a guide that's guiding me that I cannot see that helps me navigate like the many intersections of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I can do that by trusting the guide, the guidance that I'm given and really um, waking up and I take it moment by moment, day by day. I don't put any expectations on myself because society has put enough expectations of, on me as a black woman. Yeah, I've been navigating these interlocking systems of domination for 39 years. And the way I do that through my ignorance sections is really a, a quiet prayer and just trusting the wisdom and the quiet guidance of my ancestors. That's the, I, the only way I know how to explain it. I love, I love that you say that, and I've, this, if this moment feels super divine. Earlier today, I stumbled across. I was looking, doing some research on black theologians, and um, came across this person by the name of Octavia V. Rogers, um, and her what she did was. Uh, she she had a I think she had a doctorate if I'm not mistaken but uh, she was a theologian who compiled the stories of enslaved people and their experience with um, spirituality and 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 at, for some people Christianity and the first story that I'm reading is about this this woman who um, I think this is now after the war but this woman comes over to her house and. She, she talks about her knees 
and her knees being uh, really big and callous from her being on them from praying and from working in the field and from praying and from working in the field. Um, and she talks about how the mat, her master, uh, they didn't, you know, typically people would go to church on Sunday, but her master didn't go to church on Sunday. And so they would still make them work in the house. And then on the days, how she would get around that is they would, they had this jail quote unquote that she would get thrown into. And she said that she enjoyed being in that jail because it was the space that she could get rested and pray. Mm -hmm. And I just think about the faith of enslaved people Mm -hmm. with, I mean, and this, this person, she didn't know how to read. She didn't know how to write. And so they relied on oral tradition and they relied on song. Mm, wow that's some wit that's wow yep so for people who want to look it up it's the house of bondage by octavia v rogers um and it covers periods from like 1853 to 1889 i think i'll put it in the show notes. it's fascinating okay wow but yeah it's just it it's so amazing how these themes continue to search even even when i look at it and i see sort of an exodus from the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really feels like we're stepping into something even bigger yeah. and recognize this, this spiritual present and this presence and this spiritual awareness. And it just always strikes me how guided spiritually this movement of liberation has always been yeah. and, and the spirit, spiritual awareness and consciousness that we carry with us and in our bodies is astounding. It is profound. Wow. Thank you for sharing that with me. I it's, it's wow. I'm going to grab that book and take a read. <laughs> yeah, grab some tissues. Cause I was sitting there. I had like some piano music on and I'm like reading and all of a sudden I'm like sobbing and I'm like, what is going on? Why <laughs> <laughs> right but it, it i mean the and i guess the reason I, I i bring this up i'm working on this this sermon prep thing i don't know what to call it that i'm doing it and i'm basing it around james one two through four and talking about joy but also how how do we experience joy and also experience this healing mm-hmm. This bond, this trauma, this healing from this trauma bond, this politic of trauma that we have. Uh, Stacey Haynes is works a lot with the soma um, and talks about trauma from uh, uh, being stored in our bodies mm-hmm. type thing. And so the it just dawns on me because we were talking about the people who, you know, today is Martin Luther King Jr. Junior Day, and so many people who choose this particular one day to talk about Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream. And then as Malcolm X would say every other day to be devils. So, <laughs> yeah. But, and so like thinking about though, what joy do we find in trials? What joy do we find in tribulation? And so much of our story is, finding joy in spite of yeah not because of but in in spite spite of of. oh absolutely i I feel like that's a song (laughs) i know that's a song in spite of 
it's a gospel song. In spite of everything I've been through, I just got to say thank you. Yes, actually, it is no, a gospel song. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. It's actually Smokey Norful. And it's right here in my head because whenever I go through trials, I remember my mom sent it to me. Okay, mom, ancestor, play this when you're, now she sends me BTS songs in the same way, but um, (laughs) (laughs) you're going through it. Listen to this song. It's true. As a culture, in spite of everything we've been through, we still find space to give praise, find joy and say, thank you to like that, that higher calling, that higher being to whatever it is. For some people, it's Christ. For some people, it's energy. Um, but to come from a people who always find joy in spite of, always, I think that's a beautiful gift. Ugh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been running Check Your Privilege for three years. Mm-hmm. Do you have sort of a summation of things that you like, you want people to check their privilege on? Oh my God. I actually want them to break their addiction to privilege now. <laughs> An addiction. Come on. Uh, we, I hear a word coming. We, I hear a word it. coming. Here we go. I'm not going to give too much of it away, but it's one of our, it's the, it's the one workshop that we have that sells out because we cap it at, at no more than 40 for a reason. Not everyone shows up and it's like an intimate space because we're really looking at privilege as an addiction, an addiction to whiteness, an addiction to white culture, an addiction to our proximity to power, um, an addiction to not wanting to lay down our power, um, an addiction to to shaming and blaming. Like it's it's layers to it. Um, So. One of the things that I'm working on is is to be to be able to more succinctly uh, define whiteness for people because mm-hmm. oftentimes you say whiteness and people just think oh it's because I have white skin <laughs> and you know not necessarily just the white skin right but right. what in that would in talking about recognizing whiteness how would you define whiteness to someone just entering into this world. I'm so glad you asked me that question. I'm so prepared for that question. No, I'm not. Um, I usually refer to <laughs> you like that. I was really like, really. <laughs> She's always ready. No, I'm not. I'm a human. I'm not always ready. <laughs> what, I, what I will tell you is I'm about to, I didn't stay ready this time. Um, but when I talk about whiteness, <laughs> When I talk about whiteness, I often talk about dominant culture because even the idea of whiteness, we all know it's a social construct, just like race, um, but it's weaponized by these interlocking systems of domination. Um, whiteness and white identity is the way that white people, customs, culture, and beliefs operate as a dominant standard. It's something that's been normalized throughout history and has created this dominant culture where non-white persons are seen as inferior or abnormal. And so the best way that I explain dominant culture um, is the no- it's from the notion of cultural assimilation, which is back in my day, having full lips and wide hips wasn't the norm. Now we see white women with full lips and white hips because it has been assimilated into white culture and made an acceptable standard for whiteness and white people but for black people it's still seen as abnormal so I I have a long-standing definition of it Um, but it's just the way that white people and their customs and their cultures operate as a dominant standard 
and anyone outside of that standard is seen as abnormal or inferior. I just always find it super helpful to to name that thing because we're I, I recognize in this work it's we're, it's we're always pushing past the defensiveness that arises mm-hmm. uh, when we say, "Well, I, I can't help being white." Well, that's not what we're talking about, oh sweetheart. Sit down. <laughs> no, you, you cannot help being white, but what you can help is the way that you weaponize your whiteness against black and brown and indigenous yes. people of color. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Preach. Preach. But sorry, I derailed us from That's okay. talking about you were talking about your work. Uh, but yeah, but if you want to like back to check your privilege, like I just um there's so many different privileges. There's economic privilege, class privilege, racial privilege, ability privilege, or able-bodied privilege. I think that's what it is. But when it comes to the work, I, I really created it as a double entendre because we all have privilege. Like I have, yes. I'm be real. I have class privilege. I have, um, I think that's the only one that I have. I, I, black privilege is not a thing. So I don't even think I have class <laughs> privilege. But anyway, I really, I wanted to play with the meme, the play on words. Because when that first came out, everybody was using check your privilege as this way to like drag white people. I created it for a different reason. I wanted to take the meme and flip it to really use it as a way to empower people, specifically white folks, to take start the journey and stay consistent on the journey. It's really a healing journey. I just played with the, it literally was like, oh, look at all these memes. What do they mean? I'm going to use it, but I really want to use it towards healing for white folks, not necessarily to drag white folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I, what I will say um, I was in conversation with uh, a, a new friend the other day who is from the Middle East and coming to understand where I live at and the access and privilege that I have, because it's really easy to say that as Black people in America that we don't have privilege, but having the citizenship of being an American that uh, I don't know if I would call it imperial privilege mm. is something that we all carry. Mm-hmm. Um, because to, even, even though the constitution wasn't created or designed for us, Mm -hmm. we are able to utilize it. We're able to access it in a way that can levy in us privilege. Right. And I'm thinking about this from a queer perspective, this person's telling me stories about, you know, they sew queer people's buttholes together. Right. And I don't have that fear living in the United States of America. Right. And so it's, it's really humbling. And it gives me a way forward in the work to think about, okay, privilege is relative based on the access in the place in which you find yourself. And so there's a geography component to it and all of it that, that we're having to sit with and examine and recognize who are the governing institutions that that affect how we live our life or how we don't live our life. And, and there's privileges within that. Mm. And, and that's an idea that I'm just 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 playing with as, as I'm having this story and, and thinking about, okay, you know, especially because 
liberation is so tied to my faith personally and how, you know, when I'm thinking, if I'm thinking about liberation for all people, I also need to look outside of uh, this particular country to not fall into the trap of, of American exceptionalism because this is where my focus is and recognizing how there's, there's other oppressions and, and privileges. And so what access do, does being a citizen of this country provide for me? And still I can recognize the oppressions that being in this country also brings. That's deep. Being a citizen of this country does come with privilege. And so how do you hold space for that? And like you're saying, the levels of oppression that we still have to live with and deal with. I need to sit with that. Yeah. I mean, and it's some and I, I think I think it's something really important mm-hmm. for us to sit with, but not, you know, because also, you know, we hear that from whiteness. It was like, well, you should be grateful. Shut up, right? And that's not that's not the sentence that I'm talking. I want to be very clear. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> right. But when we recognize the privileges that we have, it leads into a space of empathy for others. Mm-hmm. And so I'm reading part of the uh, James Cone's Crossing the Lynching Tree right now. And he's talking about uh, one of the leading progressive theologians, Neil, Neil or something. Uh, anyway, him and King often went back and forth with their theologies. Um, and the critique that Cone levies is that uh, Nierba was never able to visualize himself from the perspective of the oppressed. And so he was never able to empathize. And so any solutions that he came in, came within the name of justice fell short because of that lack of being able to empathize. And so how are we able to empathize with those Mm. different from us, right? Who are also undergoing oppression. And I think that then begins to touch on other topics of our obsession with our military, military industrial complex and things of that. Right. So as Dr. King um, would say, the triple evils. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, y'all, if y'all ain't know, Dr. King just spoke on it all. Yes. <laughs> y'all gonna stop like, watching him. <laughs> I'm done with that today. <laughs> but we promised we would get back to your butthole. Oh my God. I cannot talk about that. I right didn't know. I was going to talk about it, but I'm not in a place right now to talk about it. Yep. Yep. But yep. All right. We got some family in the room. I'm, so we'll, I'm going to we'll, invite you guys to my podcast and then we can talk okay. about it. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> so. You know, you now have to go over to check your privilege and listen mm-hmm. to the podcast to hear, hear it to be continued. To be continued. <laughs> <laughs> so we always end um, sort of with this question on salvation mm. and what does salvation look like? And what does it mean to you and for you? I don't know if I'm triggered, if I'm traumatized. Jesus. Right. right? And um, so like, that's the... It doesn't have to be the Christian version. Right. And it doesn't. Okay, but that we, we use that word to bring up 
to bring up all those feelings and and those things, you know, not to intentionally trigger or traumatize people, right? But yeah, but because how we experience that is tied up to all those things that come up, and so it, I'm not we're not looking for a particular answer, but mm-hmm. really your relationship to the word and and to all of it. Because I don't believe in that type, that Christian type anymore. Yeah. So it's so fascinating. Like, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, don't. That's not. Where does it, what is it in you? What right now? What is self, what's And I'm curious about the response that you had in your body. Cause it was, it was a big reaction. Yeah. It was like, oh my God. Oh, are you asking me like, do I believe there's a, the only one way to God is through Christ? Right. Like, are you asking me like, that I need to like re- repeat. I can't even say it right now. It's like, <laughs> I, I'm like, I walked away from that for a reason. No. Um, <laughs> Me too. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna actually journal about that because there is a big reaction to this question and I need to actually find for myself why and what is it for me? And so if I were to think in terms of salvation, what does that feel like for me? What does that mean for me? What does that look like for me? I think it's, a, it's trusting in a higher power, a, a source and the ancestors to really speak to me and sit with me so that I am able to be nourished mm-hmm. and, and be filled so that I can go out and do the work that I am called to do. So there's something about a, a, a universal energy of a higher source or power that is also birthed from the wisdom of my ancestors that really allows me to sit with them, to sit with my inner knowing and like guide from a place of a place of peace and and a salvation that is resonant. Like that feels actually good in my stomach, like a, a resonance. Oh. And and I'm able wow. to guide and lead from this inner inner and outer residence. It's just a knowing. That's beautiful. Whoa. That's that, beautiful. Oh, that, oh. Yeah. That's mm. And I, and I know it's it's a resonance. I know it's a I know it's a, 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 a energy or sort. The only way I can feel it is when I close my eyes. If you've ever noticed that sometimes I'm I'm talking or I'm live and I close my eyes or I look off, it's 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 this resonance. It's this feeling. So. Mm-hmm. I can sense that. Thank you for sharing, but you, you, Becca, you had a reaction to that, and I'm really curious. To which part? Uh, as she was talking and talking about the resonance and and how she experiences this loaded term of salvation, um, what were what was that for you? I could picture it. I could see it. I mean, maybe not my usual. You, of course, can all see it differently, but. It was just this feeling of being held. It was this feeling of this energy that's just glowing and this feeling of many hands and many guides. Have you seen Lovecraft Country? Me? Either one either one of y'all. Just says it's too scary for me. I'm behind, but yes. <laughs> okay. 
Okay. Okay. Anyway, what something that you just said, Becca? I won't give any spoilers away. Um, I, I, I'm still might try it. Just I just am a big baby. So. <laughs> it's good, but there's a part in there in in which you talk about the hands and the gathering together that's illustrated in a profound and powerful way. Um, and so when my experience of listening to you talk about that was, I saw your pain. I saw the rejection that often comes from not assimilating to a certain definition of salvation or a certain creed of salvation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But also I saw in that the divine in a healing Mm-hmm. Uh, this elevated awareness mm-hmm. so beautiful. that what we think of or what we might have been taught of as salvation, that it truly can't be contained. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I really heard in that was liberation. Yep. I felt that. That's it's it. been so good to have you on, my That's love. It. It's been so great to sit with both of you. This has been amazing. I'm sorry I couldn't talk about my butthole, but um, (laughs) (laughs) in that beautiful moment. The perfect way. I'm starting to see how I got class clown in high school in the yearbook. I'm really starting (laughs) to figure that part out because I couldn't for years. That was great. That was just beautiful. Yes, thank you for just sitting with me and inviting me to be on the podcast and rescheduling 10,000 times. It was worth it. Yeah, it was. 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 And for me, we I feel like we always know that it's supposed to happen when we keep trying Mm -hmm. and then it'll eventually. And that means there was a reason for the timing. Yeah. Divine timing like, is everything. Sweetheart, I wouldn't have known. I wouldn't have had that uh, that story, that book that I shared with you today. Wouldn't mm-hmm. have had it. No. Like the the events, we wouldn't have been able to talk about insurrection. We wouldn't oh, have been able to talk shock about. Oh, Dang it, yeah. you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, like, this is great. The this source was like, like, I got something like, in store for you. Right, like, you want some joy this week? I got something for you. <laughs> this is great. This is, the, this is like the best podcast I've been on since speaking of racism. This is great. Oh, oh, yes. a, seriously, how I honor. <laughs> Yo, that was our show. Thanks for listening to Permission to Be. Um, thank you to our guests. So if you want more information, head on over to permission to be podcast.com to check out the show notes, get some more information on our guests that we post over there. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, leave a rating. If there's somebody that you want to see on this podcast telling their story, we also want to hear from you. So make sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram permission to be podcast and we'll see you soon.